Well, we're in a series called Redemption, and we're working through the book of Exodus. And uh, what we're going to do is over the next couple weeks here, we're going to work up to the point where God's people cross the Red Sea. And we're going to take a break from Exodus for a while. And sometime in the next year, we'll come back to it and cover some of their time wandering in the wilderness. But today, we hit the event that ultimately is the Exodus. The event that we're going to look at this morning is uh, the penultimate event of salvation in the Old Testament. And it all points forward to Jesus. It's the defining act of salvation in the Old Testament. And so uh, before we get there, though, maybe just by way of review, let's get you caught up. And uh, for 400 years, God's people have been in Egypt. They had fled there and God uh, miraculously rescued them, bringing them there, providing for them in a famine. And over 400 years, they multiplied, fulfilling God's uh, promise to make his people into a great nation. And uh, after 400 years, though, they had become such a large number of people that Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, became afraid of them. He became afraid of this, uh, this, this population that had immigrated into his country and now, uh, in his mind, threatened to take over his country. And if war would, would crop up, he said, uh, surely we'll never be able to defeat them. And so uh, he begins to afflict them and oppress them. He makes them slaves. The Bible tells us it was a new Pharaoh who didn't know God's people, didn't know Joseph. And so uh, they begin to cry out to God for help, God's people do. And so God raises up a deliverer in a man by the name of Moses. And Moses has a bit of a checkered past in that uh, he grows up in, um, God rescues him and he grows up in Pharaoh's house. But then at age 40, he, uh, he murders a man. He murders an Egyptian man who was uh, afflicting God's people. And so he flees for his life and he spends 40 years hiding in the wilderness where he meets his wife, where he has a family. And at age 80, God appears to Moses. Jesus appears to him through a burning bush. And then at age 80, Moses comes back to confront Pharaoh, to ask him, to tell him, to demand of him that he let God's people go. And so he does this, and at every step, whenever Moses confronts Pharaoh, Pharaoh strikes back even harder at God redeeming and rescuing his people, and his heart becomes hardened until God even pours out different plagues. We saw nine different plagues so far that we've seen where he strikes at Pharaoh and he strikes at all the Egyptians' false gods, hoping that they would realize there are no gods at all and they would turn to him and trust him. And now after, uh, I believe, months of this, uh, we come to the 10th and final plague where God will fully redeem his people and rescue them. And so that's where we're at in the text this morning. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 12. The final plague was announced. We looked at that last week in Exodus 11. And today in Exodus 12, we're going to look at this uh, final plague, the, the Passover or the death of the firstborn. And ultimately, the exodus itself right here in Exodus chapter 12. Let me pray. We're going to dive in and try to unpack this together. Sound good? All right, let me pray. Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, that you are the one uh, all of this points to. That while Moses was a great leader who, who led and rescued your people, Jesus, you're a greater Moses because you lead and free us completely. You 
take God's wrath for sin. You, you take away our sin. You lead us to freedom. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me um, to, to teach well and to preach well this morning, that you would even teach me as I teach, uh, that these would be things applied to my own heart, not just uh, from my mouth, but Lord, that we would all of us then turn and be changed and Jesus trust you. Pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. Uh, this is for sure one of the passages he hates where his demise is made known. And so instead, would you change us and make us like Jesus? I pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 12. So it picks up like this. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. The beginning of months. God was about, he's on the cusp of doing something so significant that their calendar is gonna change. He's like, you're gonna start keeping track of time in a different way because of what I'm about to do. This month is going to, from now on, be the beginning of months for you. The beginning of, I wonder, have you, have you ever had an event where you kind of count time based on that event now in your life? You know, it was before this or after this. I mean, many of us have those, don't we? Well, in this case, literally the calendar changes because of what God is about to do. They're, they're going to count time around this event. Can, can you imagine how significant that is? It's only happened one other time in history with the, with the life of Jesus Christ. The reason that this year is 2019, not 5,000 something, is because of Jesus. We count time literally around his life. It was an event so significant, it changed everything. And, and this foreshadowed that. God is saying, what I'm about to do here in Exodus 12, what I'm about to do is so significant, it's gonna change everything. It's a total game changer. And you're gonna count time differently from now on. The month resets your calendar with this event. He says, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day now of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for each household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Uh, later, rabbis would, would basically say that you needed to share a lamb with about 10 people, but with no more than 20 people. That was kind of the guideline uh, the Jewish people went by after this event. But in any case, think of it now, it's a new month and on the 10th day out of your flock, you're to choose a lamb. You're to choose one lamb and, um, and share it with, with, with others if they can't afford it or if... Uh, it's too big just for you and your family. And what would happen, we're gonna see here in a moment, is that they would take this lamb into their home on the 10th day and it would live with them until the 14th day. We'll talk more about that in a little bit, but just get that in your mind. They pick out a perfect lamb, they bring it into their house and they keep it in their house with them for four days, okay? Now, here's what I want you to see this morning. We're gonna unpack a little bit of this at a time. Uh, all of this I've said points forward to Jesus' work on the cross. It points forward to what he does. And what's gonna happen here is that this lamb 
that they choose is going to be killed and it's going to take God's wrath. And God's wrath will then pass over the home of those who obey God here. And we'll talk about all those details in a minute. But in the same way, Jesus is that lamb. So all throughout this, I'm gonna keep pointing you forward to how this relates to Jesus today, okay? Jesus is God's lamb and Jesus takes God's wrath. Jesus on the cross takes God's wrath for sin. He endures it. In fact, Isaiah tells us he drinks the full cup of God's wrath. He he drinks it down to its dregs, to the very last drop. He takes all of it on himself. Jesus takes God's wrath. Now, let's come back here to Exodus 12, and, and let's just see some of these correlations between this Passover lamb and how it points forward to Jesus. The first thing you got to see here is that this lamb had to be pure. It must be pure. Look at verse five as we keep reading. God tells them, he says, your lamb will be, shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. So it's young, it's without blemish, it's sinless. And you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. But here's the big idea. The lamb had to be pure. This had nothing, by the way, to do with the animal because to find a perfect, totally uh, perfect lamb would have been impossible, right? But they needed to find one as perfect as they could find. Uh, Ultimately, this is pointing forward to Jesus being the perfect lamb, totally without blemish. You wouldn't be able to find a perfect animal that was without blemish, but as perfect as possible. This means, think about this. This means if you have a flock of sheep and and goats and, and you take one, and you're taking the one without blemish, you're probably taking the most valuable lamb in your flock. You're taking the one that had the most value, that, uh, that maybe you had the most affection for, the one um, that was the cream of the crop. You were taking the, the perfect lamb and you were bringing it into your home. Now, um, Jesus is ultimately this perfect lamb, right? This lamb wouldn't be perfect, but Jesus would be perfect. He'd be found to be without sin, without blemish. And all of this pointed forward to what would happen 1400 years later. Now it says from the sheep or the goats, just a little uh, side note here. You're maybe, if you're curious about that, um, ultimately in Hebrew culture, they didn't make a big distinction in this time between sheep and goats. The word, the Hebrew word here is the word say, and it just uh, meant the head of stock. And so it was like, um, it could refer equally to a sheep, equally to a goat, and it it didn't really matter. And they were, for all intents and purposes, somewhat indistinguishable to them. But when you fast forward, you find out that God in the end is going to separate between the goats and the sheep, right? Between the evil and the righteous. And I really think ultimately that's just a a reference to God's great discernment of being able to read hearts and know his people and know who we are. But in this case, it's, it's really not significant whether it's sheep or goats, but the lamb would be pure. And how much more Jesus would be pure. See, look at Hebrews chapter nine. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God He'll purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus himself would be presented without blemish. He'd be found to be pure. See, what would happen is, is the family would take this lamb into their home for four days. 
And during that four days, a handful of things would happen. They would continue to look at it and examine it, make sure there weren't any glaring faults on it. You know, they would find it to be without blemish. This is just like Jesus. Jesus comes into God's house during the week, his final week before his crucifixion, during this week in his life, the Passover week, and he was examined. He, he was uh, challenged by the religious leaders at the temple. And, and they became so frustrated with him because the more they challenged him, the more they examined him, the more they found him to be without fault. And all of this mirrors what Jesus would do. Jesus would be the perfect lamb found to be without fault. In fact, first Peter tells us in uh, chapter two, verse 22, that Jesus committed no sin and there was no deceit found in his mouth. He was found to be sinless when he was examined during this week, just like the lamb in their homes was to be found without blemish before the Passover sacrifice. Now, in case you're wondering, by the way, this is why Jesus ends up being killed because he, he declared himself to be God. He declared himself to be sinless. In John eight forty six, he says this, which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He's like, I'm the perfect lamb. I'm God in the flesh, come to rescue and save you. Why don't you believe this? They could find no fault with him after they examined him for that week. The second thing, the lamb must be pure. As we read on in Exodus 12, this lamb must be killed. Uh, Hebrews tells us that uh, there's no atonement for sin apart from the shedding of blood. And so this lamb must be killed. Look at verse six of Exodus chapter 12. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Think about this for a second. They bring this lamb into their house for four days. What's gonna happen in those four days? It's gonna become part of the family, isn't it? I mean, uh, they're gonna cherish it. They're gonna notice little quirks about it. They're probably gonna play with it, tease it, have fun with it. It becomes part of their family. And then after four days, what's gonna happen? They're gonna slaughter it. It's Father's Day, dads. Imagine if you brought a puppy home this week. That was exactly the intent I was going for. The big, oh no. That's exactly what happened here. That lamb became a part of their family. It was cherished by them. They loved it. It was, it was like a pet to them. I mean, you would go from hero to zero in four days, wouldn't you? It was to be killed. Now, now why does God do this? Well, he, he wanted the sacrifice, I believe, to be felt. He wanted it to be personal. He, he wanted it to be a true sacrifice where, where they would understand the weight of their sin. They would understand the weight of what was happening here and of God's rescue, personal to each family, personally in their home. It wasn't one for all, it was, it was individual for each family. Friends, in the same way, when Jesus dies on the cross for you, you've got to receive that personally. Like you've got to feel and know and understand that for yourself. Like your parents' faith isn't good enough 
it's on you. Jesus' sacrifice, yes, one man died for all, but you receive it personally. You have to make that choice. He wanted this to be felt. The lamb had to be killed. God's wrath had to be poured out on it. In fact, we read in a little bit that it was to be roasted over fire, to come in contact with the fire. Fire was uh, symbolic in the Old Testament and throughout scripture for God's judgment. It was to come in contact with that and to be burned fully and completely. It's a symbol of God's judgment here. Now, this points forward again to Jesus. Luke 9, verse 22, Jesus says this about himself. He said, the son of man must suffer many things and he must be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. I mentioned this earlier, Hebrews nine twenty two. under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Why? Because God's holy and he's perfect. And if he, if he doesn't deal with sin, really how good and holy and perfect is he if he just ignores things? That's not perfect. That's lazy. He has to deal with sin. Now, in this case, uh, you, you maybe know the story as we look forward. They, for the families who, who did this with this lamb and then they were to take its blood and paint it on the doorframe of their home, it says when God sees the blood, his wrath would pass over that house because they were obedient. Not because of anything they did, not because of any of their good works, but because this life had been sacrificed for their life. And if they didn't do this, they didn't obey this, then instead of God's wrath passing over the house, God's wrath would land on the house. And that's what happened in all the Egyptian homes. And they had a choice. It's a personal choice. There has to be, sin must be dealt with. And the choice for us then is either we allow Jesus to deal with it for us and then miraculously give us his righteousness in spite of who we are, or um, the sin is dealt with and the wrath falls on us. It's a simple choice. Your sin will be dealt with. The question is, will it be dealt with by Jesus or by you? The third thing here, the lamb's blood must be applied. I jumped ahead here a little bit already, but let me keep reading in Exodus chapter 12, verse seven. Uh, so, so they're to take this lamb into their home for four days and then kill it at twilight. Uh, Exodus 12, seven, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses in which they eat it. So in other words, on all uh, the, the sides and the top of their doorframe of their house, and this is all before the Passover meal was eaten. They were to take its blood and apply it to the doorway of their home. The part given to God was the blood of the lamb to satisfy his wrath that he would pass over. And then everything remaining of the lamb was given to the people to consume and to enjoy and to eat. 
See, the, the people had to do something with this. They could, um, they could agree with God. Um, yeah, if we, we killed the lamb and we apply its blood, then God's wrath will pass over. Okay, I agree with that. But, uh, and they could go through all the motions, right? They could uh, kill the lamb, they could eat the meal, they could go through all of it. But if they didn't obey and actually put their trust and their faith ultimately in this act of faith of painting blood over the doorframe of their home, what would happen? God's wrath would still fall on them. It was an act of faith. It had to be applied, not just agreed with intellectually, not just affirmed with their mouths, but believed in their heart and then applied to their life. Friends, my greatest fear for you is that you would spend your entire life in church going through all the motions, following to a T, you know, all the requirements of the sacrifice here of, you know, you're going to church, you're giving to the church, you're serving in the church. You go through all the motions, you, you're baptized in the church, you have your funeral in the church, but then you spend eternity in hell because none of Jesus' blood was ever applied to your life. It's a choice for you. And no one can make it but you. I just plead with you, make that choice. Be sure you've made that choice. It's all about Jesus. So you've got to apply it to where you live, in this case, their home, for us, our lives, knowing and believing and trusting that there's a covering for you. Exodus 12, 13, uh, if we skip forward a little bit, says the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And God says to Moses, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Uh, Later, uh, when Moses is relaying this to the people in verse 22, he says, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that's in the basin and then touch the lintel and the two doorposts with blood in the basin. And you shall go out of the door of this house you shall not, none of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, so remain in the home where you're covered, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Now imagine you're going through this, right? You're one of God's people. You're one of the Israelites and you hear all this. And uh, you you believe it because you've seen everything that God has done so far and you've come to realize I need to trust the Lord and obey him. And so you do all this. And if you're putting the blood on the doorframe of your house, how much are you putting there? All of it. (laughs) You're like, it says, God said, when I see it, I'll pass over. I'm gonna make sure like he sees all of it. I'm gonna get it on the door. I'm gonna get it on the frame around the door. I might get a couple, I might get the back door, the side door, every door. I'm gonna get them. I'm gonna make sure that God sees this. Now, if you trust Jesus and you realize like that he's your only hope to be saved, man, you, you gotta apply his work on the cross to every area of your life. Let it be seen. Let it be known, apply it everywhere. You don't get to choose like to do just a little bit, but, but all of it. And that, that goes on here. Um, see in Revelation seven, it, it, it sounds strange. I know uh, like what's with all the blood? Well, again, it's God dealing with sin. It's the seriousness with which he sees our sin. 
and the seriousness, seriousness, by the way, with which he's dealt with it in Jesus. Maybe you think, why, well, why did he have to kill all the firstborn? Did you notice, by the way, too, it doesn't say uh, the firstborn child, like children. Like it doesn't give an age. It says the firstborn. Later we read that there was death in every household in Egypt. If you're the firstborn male, anybody else besides me? I'm the firstborn. If this hadn't happened in my home in that day, I wouldn't make it through the night. It's the seriousness with which God deals with sin. And, and by the way, um, so you're like, how is that fair then that he, he, you know, he, he, he causes so much death? Well, it's not a price that he himself wasn't willing to pay sacrificing his own son for you. He walks the talk, doesn't he? He gives Jesus on the cross for you. And if you would, uh, Revelation 7, 14 um, in the end, you, you see those who are, who are being saved and it says that they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. In other words, because of Jesus paying the penalty for sin on their behalf, now they're pure and clean. They didn't have to pay it. Jesus paid it all. That's what we sang, wasn't it? He paid it all. Blessed are those, Revelation twenty two fourteen 14, are those who wash their robes so that they have, might have the right to the tree of life and might enter the city by the gates. So, so the, the lamb must be pure, it must be killed, its blood must be applied. Verse seven, then uh, Exodus 12, seven, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. We're gonna see here now that the lamb also must be fully consumed. You don't get a choice of which part of it you take. It's all or nothing. The lamb must be fully consumed. Look at verse nine. Don't eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Now, now why is that? Well, again, uh, the, the coming in contact with the fire was symbolic of God's judgment of his dealing with sin. This was a symbol to them, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall, not, you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. See, so after applying the blood, then the lamb could be received and eaten, but only if it had been roasted in fire and, and with bitter herbs. It wasn't killed just to be looked at, like it's blood just to be looked, it was killed to be received. Jesus didn't die just for you to agree intellectually and to look at it and go, yeah, I know that, I get that. I've heard that since I was a little kid. No, it's to be received. All of him, all of him. One commentator writes this, the idea behind eating it all was that you had to take it all right then and not store up some for the rescue for later. It was for right then, right now, and you had to receive all of it without thinking that you could only take a little bit and then come back later if you wanted to. Friends, we take all of Jesus, not just the part that pleases us. Amen? You can't just believe what's convenient. He's good. Believe it all, trust it all. Jesus says, he says this, he says, I am, in John 14, 6, I am the way, 
the truth, the life. No one comes but to the Father except how? Through me. That's it. It's not Jesus plus religion. It's not Jesus plus uh, some other act of faith. No, it's, it's Jesus alone. Rest in him, him alone. Take him all. He paid it all. Romans tells us if you confess with your mouth and believe in, uh, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not if you believe all this and then do this. No, if you believe, if you trust, you will be saved. It's a simple act of faith. Nothing else can be added to it. Jesus paid it all. Text goes on in verse 11. It says, in this manner, then you shall eat it with your belt fastened, sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. In other words, it had to be taken and eaten in faith. They had to do it like with their belt on, shoes on, ready to roll. Here we go. As soon as it happens, we're out of here, not knowing yet what was coming. But in faith, they had to eat it as quickly as they could take all of it and then be ready to go live it out, to live out their freedom. You see that? See, the consuming of a perfect lamb didn't make them acceptable to God. It didn't make them perfect. It was an act of faith to be received, applied, consumed by faith. It's the same with Jesus. God goes on, verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. He's exercising his sovereignty over his enemies. This, by the way, is why all the animals die too, because uh, all of the Egyptian gods uh, were related in some way to an animal. And so if the animals die too, their gods die. If Pharaoh's firstborn dies, their gods die. It was God executing judgment on his enemies. The, The blood shall be a sign for you. We read this already. On the houses where you live, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It goes on in verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Friends, Jesus takes away God's wrath. But it's more than just him taking God's wrath. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know what's even more amazing to me? He takes away our sin. He takes away our sin. See, uh, in verse 15, we get some more instruction. Moses receives more instruction for God of how the people are to live from this day forward. He says to him, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So, Let me unpack this. This gets confusing as you start reading all this day and that day and all these numbers, right? Anybody else get confused? I do. I have to like make a little chart as I'm reading and kind of map this out. As this began, we saw right away that God said, you're gonna start counting time in a different way on this day, right? It's gonna be a new month, the beginning of the year. And on the 10th day of this month, you're gonna take a lamb, bring it into your house, one without blemish. 
On the 14th day, you're gonna sacrifice it to me. And you're gonna apply the blood of that lamb to the doorframe of your house and you're gonna consume it and receive it completely. And you're gonna trust me in this by faith. Well, that day of the sacrifice, that 14th day was the first day of this, uh, what he's talking about of unleavened bread. See, they were for seven days now, starting on the day of the sacrifice, uh, they were to eat unleavened bread. And on that first day, they were to remove all the leaven out of their houses. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone they can may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this very day, I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. Now on, on this 14th day, in the middle of the night, we're gonna read that, that Pharaoh wakes up to what's going on and all of Egypt does and he commands God's people to leave and God leads them out of slavery and into freedom. And God says, because this is the day this happened, you're going to remember it. Therefore, I command you to make this a memorial. And therefore, what you're gonna do every year now, from now on, because of you being free, you're gonna clean up your house. You're gonna clean out all the leaven. Now, leaven becomes a symbol then for sin and corruption. Why? Because, well, uh, you just take a little bit of leaven in the lump and the whole loaf is contaminated, isn't it? You just have a little bit of sin and your whole life is, can be corrupted, is corrupted, right? And, and Jesus was without sin. And so their bread was without leaven as they celebrate Passover. But ultimately it was a practical matter for them, right? Like they're in a hurry. They don't have time for the dough to rise. So don't put yeast in it. Just, just, just get it ready and then bake it without leaven. There's no time for that. We're on the move. There's no looking back. We're trusting God's promises and we're going. But then in the future, as they look back, God would remind them that this is symbolic of, of sin in their life. And after he's freed them to clean up their house. Did you notice that? That's a really important piece to notice that God's command here for this feast of unleavened bread to cleanse their houses of leaven, this physical symbol of something inward uh, that they were to trust the Lord for in Jesus. um, It happens not before he saves them, after he saves them. Do you get it? They They weren't supposed to clean up everything and then trust the Lord and go. No, they were to trust the Lord and recognizing his goodness to save them, clean it up. There's a huge difference. Religion, and some of you have been taught this, religion tells you that if you really wanna be right with God, man, get your life together. What is wrong with you? Clean up that garbage. Like God's not gonna be pleased with you until you make yourself presentable to him. Clean out all the leaven, get it out of the house. Then you can come to him. Then he'll accept you. Then he'll save you. It's the, that, that's, that's a lie from literally from the pit of hell from Satan himself. The truth of the matter is this. You trust the Lord. You bring all of your junk and all of your garbage to Jesus Christ. You give it to him. He gives you his righteousness. And now he says, because I've saved you, now go live like it. After the sacrifice, clean up your house. 
Now go live it out. Not to earn my favor, but because you have my favor. Amen? Friends, that's the gospel. And, and what Jesus does is he helps us to remove this leaven from our life. He, he, he takes away our sin. Jesus makes it so that when, if you've trusted him, this blows my mind. I, I don't get it. But when God looks at me because I've put my faith in Jesus and I've applied his blood to my life, he doesn't see the messed up, jacked up, sinful Josh. You know who he sees? He sees Jesus Christ. And he loves me like that because I'm in the house with his blood around me and it's totally paid for and done. And it's his life now, not mine. So there's no place for sin in my life. Amen? Friends, that's the gospel. John the Baptist said this when he saw Jesus, behold, it's the lamb of God. Who what? Takes away the sin of the world. He says, you know, he writes later, he says in 1 John 3, verse five, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him, there's no sin. And Paul tells us that then if, if we've trusted Jesus, we're to make our lives pure. He says in 1 Corinthians 5, seven, cleanse out the old leaven, he uses Uh, this metaphor all the way back from Exodus, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. I always think that's just kind of funny. You're a new lump. I'm, I'm a lump, but I'm a new one. As you really are unleavened. See, it's not, uh, do that so you can become someone do that because that's who you really are. Paul says for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus takes God's wrath. He takes away our sin. Verse 21, going forward, then we just read about what happened. I'll just read this with you. Verse 21, then then Moses, after he heard from the Lord, he called all the elders of Israel. He said to them, go select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in blood that's in the basin and touch the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that's in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. Hyssop, by the way, was... uh, Often, it's just this plant, it was often associated with forgiveness and purification in the Old Testament. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptian, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. It passed over because God looked for the blood had it been applied. In the end, friends, that's the question of your life. Have you applied Jesus blood and sacrifice to your life. It says, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, dads, this is a good word for us on Father's Day. What do you mean by all of this? You shall say it's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. There was an enemy defeated. He struck the Egyptians, but there was also a rescue for his people. He spared our homes. And so then the people bowed their heads and worshiped. This morning, we only sang a little bit at the beginning. We're gonna do that here in a little bit. We're gonna bow our heads and worship and we're gonna spend more time singing in response to this this morning. 
But then the Israelite, the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon. Well, literally that's just in the pit. And all the firstborn of the livestock. So Jesus takes God's wrath for us. He takes away our sin. And you know what? He leads us to freedom. Moses would lead God's people now to freedom and Jesus is a greater Moses. Here's what happens. Here's how it went down. Verse 30, Pharaoh rose up in the night. He and all his servants and all the Egyptians. Can you imagine? There was a great cry in Egypt for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night. I just imagine him being furious. Up. Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Pharaoh didn't just allow them to go. He commanded them to get out. Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone. It took this for God to finally break Pharaoh. But even in his brokenness, look, and bless me also, he was still ultimately only concerned about himself. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we're, we're going to all be dead if they don't get out. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The, the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry for clothing. They started asking the Egyptians for their gold. And the Lord had given the people favor inside of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked for. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. They pretty much paid God's people to get out. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them. Just a side note. There was a mixed multitude that also went with them. What's that tell you? That whoever would come to God in faith, even the Egyptians, I really believe even Pharaoh himself, God would have rescued. This promise is for all who would believe. Anyone. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what's been done to you. Jesus loves you. You are loved. He died for you. And if you would apply his sacrifice to your life, you will be saved. They baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt for it wasn't leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt. They couldn't wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. That's mentioned because in Exodus chapter 15, we're told that it would be 400 years that God would rescue his people. Verse 42, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. Friends, Jesus leads us to freedom. He takes God's wrath. He takes away sin. He leads you to freedom. His little brother Jude wrote this in Jude 5, that Jesus was the one who led his people out of Egypt. He's the same one who would lead you to freedom. It's for Christ, Paul wrote in Exodus or Genesis, Galatians. I'll get it right eventually. 
In Galatians 5 verse 1, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Don't submit again to slavery. Don't go back. You've been cleansed. Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Friends, all of this points forward to Jesus. And as the worship team comes forward, we're gonna sing here in a minute. Um, I just challenge you, have, have you recognized this truth that Jesus took God's wrath that's meant for you and your sin and he took it on his own shoulders on the cross. He didn't deserve it, but he willingly took it for you. And that he, he then cleanses you from that moment forward and takes away your sin so that you can cleanse your house of all the leaven, so to speak, and be made clean. Now, is that to say you're never gonna sin again or never mess up even in big ways again? No, you probably will. But the good news is that one day Jesus is coming back to totally fix it all completely. And he redeems and he rescues. See, because the Israelites were free right now, but what you're gonna see if you read forward in the story is that they still faced an awful lot of hardship. They still made an awful lot of stupid, stupid, stupid decisions. Yet God was still faithful to them even when they were unfaithful. And he'll be faithful to you if you trust him. Mariah's gonna lead us in a new song here. We're gonna sing a little bit and call it a morning, but let's do so remembering uh, God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.